Welcome to the Rock of Grace Cortland Campus Podcast, where we aim to lead people like you to follow Jesus together. We have a new podcast each week with a message that is prepared with you in mind. So here's this week's message. Believers like you and me need to stop going through the motions of dead faith religion. But I've got good news for you. I'm, I'm going to tell you about dead faith, but I, I want you to realize as we get started this morning that what lays cold in the grave can come to life again through the power of Jesus Christ. Wake up! That was a great place for an amen. Okay? You, you should agree with me on that. What is dead and lifeless, cold in the grave, can come to life again through the power of Jesus Christ. Now you're awake a little bit, okay? What is dead will come to life again. The problem of believers is that we have an identity crisis. And that has caused our dead faith religion for a long, long time long time. So we want to allow the Holy Spirit to give us ears to hear what he would say to us this morning as we would look at the next to the last book of the Bible, Jude. Just one chapter long, verses 1 through 3 is going to be our emphasis. And uh, it's up here on the screen for you. And I want to invite you to, if you feel comfortable, read this aloud together with me, okay? Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. You can see I've got some things emphasized there. That's what we're going to talk about today. Because just as it was centuries ago, so too today, Christians live at odds with their stated beliefs. We need to contend for the faith. There is a relentless, intentional opposition of inconsistency that describes the lives of many believers, of churchgoers. Can you see and and recognize the paradox of Christian faith. Believers just like you and me, countless numbers of people in churches all across America today claim to be adopted as children of God, but they live their lives as orphans, as spiritual bastards, without knowing the love of their father. It's time to wake up to have a dead faith resurrection. Waking up to the pandemic will open our eyes to a couple of things this morning. I know, I I went to college, you're supposed to have three points in a sermon. I I, kind of squeezed them into two and a half, okay? 
We're going to see this morning that Jesus breathes life into what is dead. And we're going to look at the dead faith resurrection that took place in the life of Jude and also one of my favorite Bible characters and disciples, Peter. And we're going to see that in the same way Jesus wants to breathe life into dead faith that affects our lives today. But secondly, we will recognize how a resurrected faith transforms our self-centered identity and we will discover our, that our God-given empowerment that enables us to live our lives differently so that we can live what we believe. Dead faith makes us void of faith. Is there an emptiness? Is there a longing that from time to time you feel deep inside? Doesn't, doesn't it seem like there should be more than just this? A worship service and some great songs and an inspiring message, but then we go through a lifeless week. There's got to be more than this. Who was Jude? Jude was the younger half-brother of Jesus. Jude had a front row seat to the greatest story ever told. He grew up with Jesus. But I want you to understand something that is true for Jude and it's true for you and me. Proximity to Jesus does not guarantee you will have faith to believe. That, that's worth writing down. Your proximity to Jesus doesn't mean you will have a living, vibrant faith. When Jesus began his public ministry and he began to go throughout all of Galilee from Capernaum to Nazareth to Judea and all the various cities that he went to, he began preaching a very simple message. In fact, you could say he was plagiarizing John the Baptist because John the Baptist went around preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is near. And Jesus preached the same message. But unlike John, Jesus did it with a greater authority because he began to heal people from all kinds of sicknesses and diseases and the crowds became greater and people were following Jesus so that Mark says that when Jesus came back to his hometown, he entered into their house, and it's interesting, Mark says there wasn't even enough room for people to eat anything. I mean, we were talking about pizza this morning. Come on, give me a break. There's got to be room to get the pizza out of the oven. Nope, it was so crowded, there was no cooking, there was no meal preparation. People were just trying to attentively pay attention to what Jesus had to say. But unfortunately, Jude and his family was not as happy about Jesus' homecoming. Mark points out that when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind Jesus has taken this Messiah complex just a wee bit too far. He's not making sense. He's doing things that aren't rational. 
Now, think about this. Mark doesn't say it was just his brothers. It wasn't just Jude and James and Simeon and the other guys, you know. I mean, after all, who doesn't want to pick on their older brother? Sibling rivalries have been around for a long time. But it wasn't just the brothers nor the sisters, but it was his family. That tells us that Mary was there too saying, son, you, are, you, you need to calm this Messiah thing down. You're saying some things. I mean, I'm impressed with what you're doing, Jesus. You, you're, you're doing some miracles. But we need to come home and have a talk. Mary, who treasured all these things about Jesus' birth within her heart, didn't understand. You know the song, Mary, did you know? The answer is no. She had no idea. She was clueless as to what Jesus was about to do and what he was doing. She wanted to bring him home to have a talk. This Messiah complex is getting out of hand. A few months later, John tells us that this sibling rivalry kept going. It is the Jewish custom and the law says that every male needs to present themselves in Jerusalem at the feasts. And so it is the Feast of Tabernacles. And so the brothers get together and say, hey, Jesus, can't you just hear Jude? Jesus, it's time to show yourself. It's time to be somebody important. This is the main stage. Everybody's going to be in Jerusalem. Come on, Jesus, show yourself. You want to be a prophet? Now's the time to show everybody who you are. But Jesus said, you go ahead. Your timing is, you know, just any time seems right for you. But this is not my time. And so he went secretly until he began to preach in the city. But John points this out. When they were egging Jesus on, John says, not even his brothers believed in Jesus. Proximity to Jesus doesn't mean you're going to have resurrected faith. It doesn't mean you're going to come to believe. So it's true for you and me today, too. Growing up in church, I, I was a church kid from way back when. I got mom here with me today. She'll, she can tell you some stories. But growing up in a good church didn't mean I was going to have faith. It didn't mean I would have a living faith that would impact the way that I lived my life every day of the week. I was still very much in the world and unfortunately of the world sometimes. In church on Sunday, but living differently through the week. Can you identify with that? That's what we call dead faith. But our proximity to Jesus doesn't mean we'll have living faith, but Jesus wants to come and touch what's dead and bring it to life in us today. But Jude was not alone. Dead faith made Peter faithless too. We, we've all heard the stories of Peter, how on the one hand, Peter would be the hero of the faith. And then in the next moment, he is the zero of the faith. From hero to zero is Peter's story. He's, he's somebody who, who, who looks like he's got his act all together, only to stumble and fall. And how many times have I stumbled and fell? How many times have you stumbled and fallen and your faith wasn't what you thought it would be? Oh, on Sunday morning, you were alive. You were raising your hands in praise. You were praying. But then Monday came. It was Jesus who, or I'm sorry, it was Peter who first proclaimed Jesus to be the Messiah. 
But it didn't take until just that same day, within hours, when Jesus tells Peter, you know, hey, this was not revealed to you by man who I am. This was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. That only moments later when Jesus starts talking about how he's going to go to Jerusalem and he's going to have to die, Peter is the one who speaks up and says, whoa, 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 Jesus. <laughs> Let's not get carried away. We're not, we're not going to let that happen. And Jesus tells him, get behind me, Satan. You, you were listening to the Father, but now you're listening to the devil. Dead faith. He wrote a zero. Peter was ready to defend and die with Jesus as they're coming into Jerusalem. He, Peter's like, no, Lord, we're with you. We are ready to die with you if that's what it takes. We're, we're on your side. And yet you know the story of the crucifixion that as Jesus is arrested in the garden and he's taken, Peter and John follow behind and Peter finds himself standing there not fully understanding what's happening. How can this be? He's the Messiah. He's the miracle worker. He's our teacher. And a little girl says, you were with him. Oh, oh no, it wasn't me. You've got me confused with somebody else. Someone else speaks up. Surely you were with him. You're, you're, you're a Galilean. You, you sound just like Jesus. I tell you, I don't even know the man. I was not with Jesus. Third one speaks up. I, I saw you. You were there in the garden. You're, you're the one who who acted, and you 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 were you you were defending Jesus. And Peter begins to call down curses on himself. Have you ever found yourself swearing? Have you ever found yourself with that bitter taste in your mouth? I don't know him. He goes from proclaiming that he would be willing to die to denying Jesus. Peter was the fisherman that Jesus came and said, Hey, uh, Peter, come and follow me, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. And Jesus was true to his word because, remember, Peter and the other apostles were sent out and given authority to not only preach the word, but at their word, demons came out of people, and people were healed, and miracles were taking place. They were doing the same things as Jesus, and Jesus said, as you preached, I saw Satan fall from heaven. It was powerful. It was awesome. And yet this same Peter who was called to be a fisher of men after Jesus is crucified, and he's even heard the reports and even stood in the upper room and saw that Jesus was alive, that the grave couldn't hold him. Peter says, well, I don't know what all of the rest of you guys are going to do, but I'm going to go fishing. You know, I, I don't know about this being a fisher of men anymore. Peter was going from hero to zero. Paul described that dead faith struggle this way in Romans chapter 7. I don't understand my own actions for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Can you identify with that? This is the apostle Paul. And I, he's not speaking metaphorically. He's telling us his story. I don't understand who I am. The very things I hate, I sometimes find myself doing. I have the desire, he said, to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For what I do not do, the good I want, 
But the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. We see, though, how Jesus brought about a dead faith resurrection in both Jude and Peter. Peter describes what took place in his life and in the life of Jude and every other believer in his first letter when he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Say that with me. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jude and his brothers were there at the crucifixion. It was Passover. They were required by the law to be in Jerusalem just like Jesus was. We know that Mary was there because Jesus looked from the cross and spoke to John and said, Behold now, she will be be like your mother. Take her home and care for her. The brothers are just standing a little bit further back. He didn't tell them to take care of her. He talks to John. Because they're not standing there weeping or crying. They're probably standing there. My Holy Spirit inspired imaginations because, you know, I'm a brother too. Imagines them standing there with their arms crossed. We knew this was going to happen. We tried to tell Jesus. He has taken this too far. Who is going to help our mom? Just look at her broken-hearted tears. He did this to her. It's all his fault. As important as the cross is, it is central to our faith. As we sang this morning, Calvary covers it all. My sin and shame, my guilt, my pain, my past, it's all covered by the cross. But the cross does not bring you to life. Watching Jesus be crucified did not change Jude, nor James, nor Simeon, nor any of the brothers' attitude toward Jesus. They were angry, they were upset that he would do this to their mom, that they wouldn't listen to him, listen to them. How could he do this? Put yourself in Jude's shoes. What is going to convince you that your older brother is the son of God? The Messiah. It's not going to be anything he says. It's not going to be any miracle that he performs. What will convince you is to watch him die a criminal's death only to be raised from the life, raised again to life, that the one who was dead and cold in a grave is three days later alive. Jude said, I wanted to write to you about our common salvation. Oh, I would, I want to hear Jude's story. Because just as Jesus appeared to his disciples and he showed himself alive to many others, I believe Jesus showed himself to his brothers and to his sisters and to his mom. It was the resurrection from the dead that convinced them that Jesus was no ordinary man, that Jesus was indeed the Son of God. In John chapter 21, we see how Jesus restores Peter. Peter went out fishing. Peter hears a voice, a familiar voice, call from the shore. Hey, have you caught any fish? 
It's been another tough night on the Sea of Galilee. Come on, I've got some breakfast for you. And immediately Peter realizes it's the Lord. He jumps out of the boat and he makes his way to shore where Jesus has prepared breakfast. And Jesus walks with Peter then that morning. And three times, just as Peter denied him, three times says, Peter, do you love me more than these? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep, Peter. Care for my little ones. Feed my sheep. The resurrected Christ put within Peter, the apostle whose faith was dead, was faithless, on again, off again, put within him a living hope, a resurrected faith that transformed the way he lived. But Luke goes on in the book of Acts and describes how not only Peter was resurrected in his faith, but he makes a point of saying that when Jesus showed himself alive there on the Mount of Olives just outside of Jerusalem, uh, it's Paul who says there were probably over 500 who were there that day and saw Jesus and heard his final words that in a few days you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Don't leave Jerusalem until you receive the gift of my Father. And then in awe, they all stood there and watched as with no strings attached and no hydraulics or anything, Jesus began to raise and was taken up into heaven until he was hidden behind a cloud. Luke is careful to point out that there on the mountainside that afternoon was Mary and her children, Jude and James and Simeon and all of the sisters and other brothers, they were there. They experienced the resurrection. They were in the upper room on the day of Pentecost as the Holy Spirit was poured out and they too began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance because Jesus wasn't just their older brother. He was their Savior and their Lord, and it was by the resurrection of the dead that faith came alive in them. You see, resurrected faith helped Jude and Peter to understand their true identity, and it'll help us recognize our identity as well. Jude began his short letter with these words, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. He doesn't pull out the, you know, hidden ace in his pocket and say, Jude, the brother of Jesus, I know what I'm talking about. I've got some, no, he says, I'm just a servant of my master. Notice how Peter introduces himself in 2 Peter, his second letter. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have equal standing with Peter. Now, in his first letter, I find it interesting Peter introduces himself in his first letter, and he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and he goes on. I can't help but think that between 1 Peter and 2 Peter, that Mrs. Peter had a talk with um, Peter. I've learned in, you know, my, my wife Susie and I will have been married this year 40 years, that there are many times the Holy Spirit sounds so much like Susie. 
she has a way of correcting me and helping me know this is the way I need to be walking. I have steered off on the wrong, wrong path. I can't help but imagine Mrs. Peter coming and saying, um, honey, you called yourself an apostle, and, and I know Jesus called you. He set you apart as one of the 12 but you've kind of elevated yourself. Re remember, Peter, when you were going to Jerusalem and you and the other disciples were all arguing about who would be the greatest? Peter, do you remember what Jesus said to you? The greatest among you will be what, Peter? The greatest will be a servant. And so when Peter writes his second letter, he goes out of his way to not just call himself the apostle, but he says, I too am just a servant. But listen to this. I am a servant, an apostle of Christ to those who've obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. We're all called to be servants. But have you learned in your life that serving other people can be really hard to do? It is counterintuitive. We're just like the disciples arguing on the way to Jerusalem that, hey, I'm going to be great. I'm going to be somebody. You know, some of you, Pastor Dave, not, not you. <laughs> Pastor Dave, I'm sure you're sitting there thinking, you know, I could preach this message better than Greg could. How do, how do, I, how do I know that sometimes those thoughts cross through pastors' minds? Because <laughs> it's crossed through mine when I've sat and heard somebody preach like, He's good, but I could do better. No. We, we all, in, a, in our American culture, we all want to be number one. We all want the spotlight to shine on us. We all want to be somebody. But it's counterintuitive to say, I'm, I'm a servant. I, I'll, I'll be last. I, I don't have to be first. Peter learned the hard way. That it wasn't about him, it was about Jesus. And he calls us to remember we have equal standing. We are called as servants to serve Jesus and to serve one another. Resurrected faith gives us equal standing in Christ. As, as has been said by so many, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. We don't stand there to be elevated we stand there to confess our sin and be willing to serve. But when we take that place of being a servant, we can do so, we can serve like Jude when we have a solid understanding of who we are in Christ Jesus. Resurrected faith will help you understand your true identity. It will provide you with contentment to serve. Notice what, how Jude identifies those that he wrote to. He says, to those who are beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ the called, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Now, if you're following along in your Bible, uh, you may have noticed that I switched the order of the words from what's in most English versions today. 
they, they changed the way in which uh, Jude originally wrote it. And so I, I wanted to put it back in the order that Jude did. If you want to see that more, yeah, you, you need to pick up a copy of the book. You need to join us for the study and the life group because we'll talk more about these things. We'll, we'll dig in deeper than what t- we have time for this morning. You'll discover and see that Jude used three triplets. Now, you and I are blessed, whether it's our E version or some of you may be the old timers who have the tree versions, you know, a Bible that's actually printed on paper with ink, okay? Um, it might be an antique around your house somewhere. Uh, we, we are accustomed to being able to take a pen or a highlighter and mark up our Bible, uh, to, to even in our electronic versions to put in notes or put in highlights. and Yeah, that's really important to me. And we make our Bibles our own by highlighting and marking those things up. But for believers in the first century, they didn't all have a copy of Jude's letter. They didn't all have their bi- family Bible sitting on the coffee table at home. They, they didn't have, you know, a digital uh, Bible they could pull up in their app you know, uh, on the, you know, it just wasn't there. They relied upon an oral tradition. They would hear the letters being read over and over. And so that's why Jude used these two triplets because the triplet begins and ends with love, first as a noun and then as a verb. And it's a way in which when it's being spoken, It's a way in which it's like circling it, highlighting it, drawing arrows to it, everything that you can imagine that you've ever done in your Bible to make a verse stand out. Those triplets are saying, pay attention to this. This is who you are. You're beloved. We don't talk about it. We don't talk that way. Susie is my beloved, but it's not very often I call her my beloved. I do call her my bride. But that's such old English. What does it mean to be the beloved? Read this book, you'll find out. What, what does it mean for us to be kept? Can I tell you something? I'll, I'll put it, uh, it's like this, because I'll, I'll use it with Su- me and Susie. She loves me with an unconditional love because you know what? She loved me when I was at my worst. And so because she loves me and I love her, I will not allow anything to come into our relationship or anyone to harm her. I will protect her and keep her safe. And she does the same for me. That's why I said sometimes the voice of the Holy Spirit sounds a lot like Susie. Because we are the beloved of the Father, Jesus keeps us safe. Jesus, in John's gospel, he said, Satan won't be able to take you out of my hand. We are safe and secure. We're beloved, we're kept, and we are the called. We are set apart. We are are holy and righteous. That's who we are. And because that's our identity, that's who we are, Jude adds that second triplet that these things are multiplied to us. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied because you are the beloved. Because God so dearly loves you, His mercy is going to be multiplied over and over. God does not treat you as your sin deserves, but he shows you mercy because he loves you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Because we are kept, we will have peace. You ever get up in the morning and feel a little anxious? Feel a little worried? 
We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be anxious because not only are we beloved, but we are kept safe and secure. So we have peace that passes all understanding. We are secure. And because we are the called, because we're chosen, especially that love keeps growing and multiplying. Jesus is never going to toss us aside. He's never going to give up on you. It doesn't matter how many times you stumble and fall. You can be just like Peter. On again, off again. Hero, zero. Peter was picked up by Jesus and restored. And Jesus will restore you too. What lies dead and cold in a grave of disbelief can come alive again with resurrected faith through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you because Jesus is not dead, but he's alive. And so living with resurrected faith is impossible unless we learn how to just wholeheartedly depend on Jesus because resurrected faith that empowers us to live what we believe is what Jesus wants to give us. I want you to contend for the faith. Struggle. Join the battle. Fight for the faith. Have you ever been in an argument with your wife and you, I know it's happened to me. You ever been in that argument and you wonder, what are we even fighting about? If you're going to join the battle and the struggle to contend for the faith, you you better know what the faith is. I want you to understand this morning, and, and again, I don't have time to go into it this morning. That's a whole nother sermon, and it's a whole not, you know, it, it makes up not just this one book, but three books. Um, we have to understand that we don't properly know what faith is. When we think of faith, we think of faith as a noun. We think of faith as our doctrine, our beliefs, our confidence that God will see us through. But we need a paradigm shift in our understanding to see that faith is not a noun, but faith is a verb. Say that with me. Faith is a verb. Jude and Peter and first century believers both Jew and Gentile alike, they understood that faith is based upon a verb, an action. But Paul tells us it's not about what we do. We are not saved by works of faith. We are saved just by faith, not by works. So none of us have bragging rights that, oh, my faith's just a little bit better than yours. If you had faith like me, It is the activity of faithing that empowers and brings our faith to life so that we can live our lives like Jesus. No more being on again, off again. Faithing empowers me. Resurrected faith lives in me so that I live differently. I'm content in my identity as a servant because I know who I am in Christ. I don't get upset about petty little things. I let Jesus give me peace 
I let him multiply his mercy and his love over and over in me. Contend for the faith, not as a noun, but as a verb that is acting and working within you. Maybe you can better understand it like this. You and I will have a hard time falling more and more in love with a doctrine. Here are the 16 fundamental truths of the assemblies of God. We teach them to our kids. And, you know, they, 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 they grow up learning in JBQ and in Sunday school and in children's church. We, we teach them truths that are grounded in the 16 fundamental truths in an assembly of God church. But they are not going to fall in love with a plaque that numbers 1 through 16. But they will fall more in love with Jesus. You will fall more in love with Jesus than you will with any doctrine. We don't contend for a creed. We contend to just know Jesus who reveals the faith that was once for all delivered to our, the saints. We have so many different Christian denominations today because so much has been added to and subtracted from the faith that Jesus gave once for all. Instead of allowing our doctrines to define Jesus, we need to let Jesus define our doctrine. Contend to know Jesus. Struggle to be passionate for the Lord. That's what resurrected faith is all about. It's time to wake up. It's time to realize that we're in a fight. We're in a lifetime struggle for faith to be alive in us. Dead faith has kept you from seeing Jesus for who he is. It's blurred your vision. You've been blinded by meaningless religious motion. But Jesus is here today to give you a dead faith resurrection. That you can know him. Are you here today? And you would say, Pastor Greg, I need to know Jesus. I, I've known church. I've known religion. And sometimes church and religion stand in the way of people really coming to know Jesus. Are you here today and you'd just simply be willing to raise your hand? Not with every head bowed and every eye closed. Jesus hung naked on a cross for you, unashamed that he would die and take your place. You're fortunate that if you would raise your hand with every eye open and everybody looking around that those who are looking around would pray for you they'll support you they'll encourage you is there anybody who would say I just need to know Jesus my focus has been wrong I need to know him more to contend to know the faith he gives anybody at all are you struggling today with your identity. When we struggle with our identity, it's hard to be a servant who will do what it, their master tells them to do. 
Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And yet how easily we can agree in church that yes, I want to serve Jesus. I want to obey him only to go home and on Sunday afternoon find ourselves walking in disobedience and we keep walking that way all week long. Are you here today and you'd say, yeah, I need a, I need a dead faith resurrection in me to live what I believe, to focus on Jesus, to know him more so that the activity of faithing can help me live what I believe. I, I don't want to keep going with the struggle. I want to really live what Jesus, the way he wants me to. Can you lift up your hand today? Is there anybody that you would say, yeah, that's me. I don't want to keep struggling. I want to, I want to live with resurrected faith. On your seats this morning is this little half sheet of paper. And it's got a connection card there on the front and it has a little QR code that if you want to scan that with your smartphone, you can do that and you can fill it out online. I want to encourage you that before you would go this morning, would you take 60 seconds and fill this out? Not just for my benefit. Hey, I want, I want to be able to pray for you. Pastor Dave wants to be able to pray for you about whatever it is that the Lord might be speaking to your heart this morning. But if you don't take, a, take 60 seconds or two minutes this morning to, to solidify what Jesus is saying to you in your heart, have you learned that, golly, I quickly forget. And so it's not, it's not for me, it's for you. So that you will remember, this is, this is what Jesus wants me to do today. So you can fill it out on the, on the page and you can give us that after service or you can uh, use your phone or tablet and, and fill it out online. We have a free gift for you when you take just that 60 seconds and just let us know how we can pray, pray with you about what Jesus has said to you. Lord, I thank you today for the hope of resurrected faith. That we don't have to continue to go through the religious motions, but that we can allow your spirit to bring the activity of faithing into being in our lives so that faith as a verb works within us to change us from the inside out. We will be your witnesses, Jesus, because you empower us by faith. Not because we know more, not because we've studied, but simply because we know you. You will enable us to tell others about our master, our Lord, and the one who loves us the most. Jesus, with resurrected faith, will be able to serve you and serve our community serve our church because we're secure in who we are. We know that we're loved beyond measure. You hold us, keep us safe in the palm of your hand. Jesus, help us today to have that contentment as a servant so that you are glorified in and through our lives. We ask it, Lord, 
this and all of these things in the mighty and the strong name of Jesus. And everybody says, amen. If you would like, as you're filling that out, we'll be available here at the front. If you'd like us to pray with you, we're going to just make ourselves available here. And then we'll be out at the book table if you want to pick up a book or find out more about the life group. Well, God bless you guys, and I hope you all have a very great and hopefully less snowy Sunday. Thanks for joining us. If this message impacted you or you would like to get in contact with us, you can visit us at www.rockofgrace.org. Also, be sure to share this message with a friend or subscribe so you never miss a message. God bless.